0: Hello, my name is Paul Caddy, and welcome to the Business in a Digital Age podcast. This new podcast features interviews with change makers, mold breakers, future leaders, and other leading figures who show us what matters in the digital age. They share key insights and talk about what you can do to thrive in the years ahead. We explore what makes our guests tick and what they think will most transform our lives in the next few years, and what you can do about it. Today's guest is Nadia Papamichael. Nadia is a professor at Alliance Manchester Business School at the University of Manchester and a fellow of the Alan Turing Institute, the UK's National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence. She previously held research posts at the Universities of Leeds and Manchester as well as a visiting lectureship at Warwick Business School. As the world seems to get quicker and quicker every day, making the right decisions at the right time in business is vital. Nadia's research focuses on improving decision-making using technology. This includes research interests in the design, development and evaluation of decision analytics tools. She's also a published author. In her co-authored book on decision-making, she notes that while humans may be the best decision-makers on the planet, we're not quite as good as we think we are. We're regularly subject to biases, inconsistencies and irrationalities in our decision-making. Today, we explore how we can get better at something we probably don't think about very much at all, making better decisions, particularly using tech. Nadia, welcome.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Um, Your research focuses on improving decision-making in organisations through the use of technology. Um, What inspired you? To
1: work yeah. in this area? Um, I came to the UK about 20 years ago, okay. and I did a master's degree in information systems. Right. And one of the courses available was decision analysis. Uh, And it was all about the science of decisions, how we can strive to be rational and how we can use mathematical modeling to take better decisions. And um, I've always been a bit undecided as a person and often agonize over decisions. Uh, So I I thought, oh, this is really a very good topic. And then I went on to do a PhD in the area and i developed um, uh, a decision support tool to help health officials to take a decision after a radiation accident right uh so um that is really the beginning of a journey for me um great it it is a science and the art of decision making
0: because it it, it's it's there's a rush you were talking about rationality as it were so i suppose as humans we always think we're very rational But I suppose what you're suggesting there is that we're not as rational as we would like to think that we are. Um, and you sort of recognize that in yourself, y- yeah. your sort of characteristic y- yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: was yeah, yeah.
0: perhaps slightly indecisive, but actually what? how can I improve decision-making uh, uh, or y- my decision-making?
1: Uh, uh, yes, indeed. And I have to say, uh, very often um, I realize that uh, uh, we all fall into decision-making traps, including right. myself, and sometimes I find myself falling into a decision-making trap. and. I try really to take a step back, this is is if decision biases are part of our DNA to some extent. Uh, But what uh, we need to do is, as I said before, to take a step back. But this is very, very difficult, uh, because uh, someone needs to tell us uh, that uh, we are falling uh, into decision-making traps, or we are engaging uh, in a decision-making bias. And uh, Daniel Kahneman, you know, the Nobelist, has done a lot of work, and many people have read his research. Uh, But it's really true that uh, many of us when we are faced with a decision uh, we go for the first solution that is on the table. So
0: it's almost uh, like the, the gut feeling yes, decision. Yes,
1: the gut feeling right. decision. Uh, and this is system one thinking instead of taking a step back and try really to develop um, an analytical solution. And um, uh, uh, something that, that uh, um, exactly is that I always have in mind is how much effort have I we, have we put into a decision? And how long has it taken me to arrive at a solution or a decision? Right. Uh, because so when you put a lot of effort, if you go out of your way to collect good quality information, you're more likely to take a good quality decision.
0: So is the key almost with decision-making, as a rough rule of thumb, to step back
1: yes. sometimes? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but it's very difficult because uh, very often someone needs to tell you uh, to do that, right. uh, and you don't realise in the heat of a moment... Um, or, or is it to have systems yes, in place? Yes, yeah. So,
0: you, you, know, you, you need yeah, to make a, a, yeah. an important decision, this is what our organisation says actually, think, stop. Yes. Or stop, think,
1: I should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, as you said, there are some decisions that are critical. Yeah. Uh, because if uh, you make the wrong decision, this is going to have a major financial impact for your company. And for this critical kind of decisions, you need really to take your time. You don't really want to take prolonged decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is bad as well. But at the same time, you don't really want to engage in blinking, right. uh, take a decision straight away. You need really to allocate the random amount of resources and time in order to, get, to take a good decision.
0: Well this is, in the book which we've which, which yeah. we've written we yeah. talk about change cubed and that's like the pace of change yeah. has just increased yeah. so much yeah. so businesses are sort of running to stand still nowadays yeah. how how is how does that impact decision making?
1: Uh, it, 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 it does. Uh, and it is true that uh, efficiency is very, very important uh, nowadays. Um, and I would say a couple of things. Uh, when you have to take a critical decisions. even uh, uh, if you are under time pressure, you're more likely to take to make mistakes. Right. And it's very important in these cases to uh, just uh, to do a bit of an environmental scanning, uh, a bit of auditing. Uh, yes, I have to take a decision in a short period of time, uh, but have I taken the right decision? Uh, Am I confident uh, uh, to to justify my decision if I have to? Um, And you need this kind of checklist, and you need really to take this uh, moment of um, auditing a bit your decision uh, in the past. And I have to say, with some decisions, even if you are under pressure, uh, sometimes uh, you have to put your foot down and say that, you know, something, we need to buy some time. Right. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it's okay not to take a decision, but at the same time to allocate resources in order to get more information about the decision before you go ahead. Um, another consideration is to be flexible, right. to be agile. You don't really want to take a hasty decision that cannot be reversed. So, another question that you need to ask is, if I was to take this decision, would I be able to go back and reverse it or mitigate the, cell, the consequences right. to some extent?
0: So is the key sometimes, mm-hmm. and I, I've certainly used to do this as a lawyer, is to sort of, and it's difficult sometimes because people want instant decisions, don't they? Yeah. And it's not always possible yeah. to give an instant decision, or it is possible, but it might be the wrong decision, yeah. is to sort of think about it overnight. Yeah. And, and it's almost like society and business culture doesn't seem to allow this as much nowadays but I find that's when a decision yeah. or, or an answer seems to be clearer. Uh,
1: in and this head. is indeed a very good tip uh, and I have many friends and colleagues who help organisations to take decisions uh, and in the past I have helped companies to take decisions and what we always do is to organise two day events Okay. Uh, because it's very important to get the right people around the table to uh, debate the yep. issues the main issues of a decision uh, but then uh, sometimes you don't really Want people to drive back the same day and on the way back home to think oh there was something really important that we did not really discuss it it's very very important for people to sleep over a decision and then the next day uh just to pick up the loose ends yeah have you done
0: research or has there been much research in that area
1: Uh, yes because it's sort of
0: quite anecdotal isn't it the they're sleeping on something. Yes. And I know it was said 20 years ago and 10 years ago by, you know, people I've worked with. So has there been much research in that area?
1: Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Apparently when we sleep, even when we don't realize this, uh, but we process information in our heads. And the day after, we have this eureka moment, these right. little moments where we have a bit more clarity yeah. over the issues that we discussed the day before.
0: It's interesting because I suppose people are always talking nowadays about sleep hygiene, and I think we don't get as much sleep as we used to. Yeah. I can't. I don't know the exact figures, yeah. but I think we get less sleep now than we did 30 years ago, for yeah. example. But that will impact on decision-making, potentially. Uh,
1: it, yes, uh, um, uh, well-being yeah. is something under research, but more and more uh, nowadays when people design technologies, uh, and they think, what is the end game? Uh, you know, just think about the well-being of people who take decisions or are you going to be affected by right. decisions. And this is something we have started thinking about.
0: And I suppose work culture is so important. It can be quite a nebulous concept sometimes, yeah. work culture. And people say, we put people first. It can almost be a cliche, but that does matter in terms of decision-making and giving people the space, uh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. to make good decisions.
1: Uh, indeed. Uh, Unfortunately, from my experience, because I'm involved in different projects uh, and where we are trying to develop a super-duper piece of technology that is going to improve uh, performance, is going to augment decision-making. And very often, what uh, starts um, uh, with a technical problem ends up with uh, a a people's problem. Uh, Because um, uh, very often in projects, we try to develop an AI tool Um, embedded into decision-making processes and then We kind of think that people are going to use it, uh, but we need to give people time and space to learn how to use a tool. Uh, We need to have a learning culture and we need to foster a learning culture uh, where people are going to go out of their way in order to learn uh, how to use the latest AI tool. Uh, And unless we put the structures in place within uh, the workplace, we're going to end up investing a lot of money in AI or in other decisions. Uniting technologies, um, but uh, failing uh, b- because people are going to reject the piece of technology so that is, we are going to develop.
0: Yeah, So there's almost a marketing piece, I suppose, yes. with new technology sometimes, because you can lead a horse to the water, as it were, but people yeah. might just not use that technology. So have you had to work, or have some of the businesses with whom you've worked, have they had to work with marketing teams or other internal communications teams to sort of sell
1: yes uh, yeah. yes marketing is very very important marketing and PR uh, when you start an AI project it's very important that you work very closely with the a- PR function of the company, uh, you can uh, disseminate and uh, um, uh, what you, you want to do uh, using newsletters. Uh, you can organize events yeah. uh, in order really to tell uh, uh, staff about what uh, you're trying uh, to achieve. At the same time, uh, it's very important to find to identify champions, uh, people in the organization who are going to help you uh, to get the message across. Uh, And uh, you have really to look very carefully at the chain. Uh, Who is the end user? of the technology that you're trying to develop and then perhaps try to to talk to brokers or to line managers who are going to promote the technology uh, to staff. But uh, there is no denial there that uh, there are many uh, blocks. uh, And if you go to a company, there are physical boundaries, Uh, you you know, you, you might be in a room and you are constrained by the physical boundaries because you can only uh, 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 propagate your message to the people who right. are in the room. But very often in organizations, there are silos and there are other boundaries that right. don't really allow you to get through to the people uh, that you're trying to
0: reach. So you very you need to have a... It, businesses are full of human beings, so it's recognizing the fact that yeah, uh, humans sometimes struggle to with with, with change. I suppose
1: uh, uh, yes, though we have to be uh, fair to them. Uh, very often when we develop new technologies, we are asking people to work in a different way. And um, uh, uh, when it comes to AI tools in particular, um, it's very important to collect data because it's only when you have high quality data that you can't really uh, develop a tool that is more likely uh, to produce robust results. So,
0: so is that quite a challenge yeah. still nowadays? I mean, we talk about data in our book and, and data will, we call it the data boost, it will change things quite considerably. Lawyers in our profession, we don't necessarily use data as much as we ought to. So is there also a piece where you need to persuade people and sell the idea of you're sitting on a lot of data and you're not using it?
1: Uh, yes, uh, and there are many considerations uh, there, uh, because uh, in a legal services firm you have data, but this uh, data is, lies in different repositories. If you want to that really, sort of yes, concept. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, in order really to fit the AI tool, you have. Uh, uh, to develop a very complex database structure, where you're going to extract data from different sources, and you might have different databases, or in some occasions uh, you, you can have data in uh, in reports. Um, another consideration is that legal professionals um, they're very important people in the chain, and um, they have a lot of knowledge and expertise. And very often, when you try uh, to develop a tool, you try really to capture How the reasoning process, how they arrive at decisions, because when you develop a tool, very often you you need to replicate the reasoning process of legal professionals, but you have to persuade these people to part with this kind of uh, knowledge.
0: Again, it's almost that marketing piece. Yes. The the reason this is important is because you can add value once this data has been collected and AI works on it, as it were, we can add greater value.
1: Yes. Uh, And of course, the selling point of AI is that you're trying to augment decision-making capability, you don't really try to replace people. Of course, many analysts are cynical about this and they can uh, see a geographical divide. When I visit my colleagues in the US, they are very open about it, that they're, they're trying to replace right. <laughs> a workforce. Um, but there is another angle, there is another selling point that what you're trying to do is uh, ideally to automate tasks that human beings don't really want to do. Uh, you want really to automate repetitive tasks. Um, and you want really to give more time to people so they can really think more deeply about cases.
0: So it's the key to sort of remind people actually your job is consists of a number of tasks. Yes. And it's some of these tasks that AI will help with. Yes. But it's not your job in most cases that was is going to go. Um, it's just the sort of the slightly dull work sometimes actually.
1: Uh, yes. Uh, do, uh, uh, yes. Do you think it's
0: going to be easier with? chat GPT for example because people are familiar with it and you know I was out last night and speaking to some friends some of whom hadn't really seen it in action and you know their jaws just drop when they can see what it it can do Is, is that going to help do you think businesses sell AI when they just see like wow this is Phenomenal
1: piece of time. You know, a few years ago, uh, big data was a game changer, and we've seen uh, 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 the development of many AI tools. And I have to say, yes, generative AI and uh, the kind of technologies like ChatGPT, yes, they are a game changer. And now um, we we have to be skeptical, Uh, there is no doubt about it, because we can see in other sectors, for example, in journalism. Uh, people are trying to figure out what's next for them. Yeah. Uh, if there are any tools out there, they, they can do a very good job. Um, and we can see uh, AI tools um, uh, producing paintings and uh, being very creative what is next uh, uh, when it comes to the legal services yeah. uh, sector and it is true that right now it is a game changer uh, and I've been teaching digital strategy for a number of years and I've never seen so many things going on in a, such a short period of time well,
0: Google I think as we record this interview I think Google just released BARD yes um, Yes. for example
1: they, they tried about co- a month co-pilot, ago
0: I think Microsoft yes.
1: yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. It It's very exciting. It's very exciting. And I think uh, what we need really to do is to embrace it because uh, it's very promising. Uh, But there is no doubt about it that we have really to reposition ourselves. Um, I can categorically say that in in, in, uh, uh, the legal services sector, uh, we are going to see many AI jobs being created. So some jobs might have to go, don't really want to predict uh, but, um, uh, but at the same time, many other jobs are going to be created. Uh, so uh, before, perhaps, we had uh, teams that were not very diverse when it came to background, and I think now we're going to see more and more multidisciplinary kind of teams where we are going to see uh, uh, AI designers and uh, uh, business uh, intelligence analysts working alongside uh, legal professionals. Um, and Maybe we're going to see many people with a background in in law coming back to universities uh, to take a business analytics uh, degree uh, and we're going to see many uh, people with a technical background coming back to universities, getting a better understanding of law and the challenges and going into this profession. Uh, so uh, what I'm saying is, yes, um, uh, there are going to be threats, but also many opportunities.
0: Absolutely. Like, like any new technology. Yes. In terms of AI, would you, I'm putting it in the most simple way I can think, would you start with AI or finish with AI? Because sometimes you have a problem. I'm just thinking chat GPT. You could just ask chat GPT and it will come up with you know an answer to whatever you, whatever mm-hmm. question you ask it but is it better sometimes to do some of the work yourself and then ask chat gpt uh, yeah. so it's sort of I think if you asked AI, I suppose still at the moment, it's not absolutely transparent, is it? Uh, um, uh,
1: yes, uh, many people, uh, they talk about hallucinations, right. uh, and it is indeed very much the case. Uh, um, uh, for example, uh, I wanted to figure out how it works, uh, so when uh, I put uh, the topic of the essay that I have really asked my students uh, to, to do, I got excellent results. Answers right. and the question was, what is the digital strategy of Uber? And I got an excellent answer. But then when I said, uh, what do you know about Nandita Papa Michael? I realized that what ChatGPT did was it combined information about me and about my collaborators, because I guess what what the tool did, it visited my websites, but also it followed up links to my collaborators. So at the end, it came up with a bio that it was a mixed bio between myself uh, and other people I have worked with in the past. Uh, So um, the answers are not robust
0: yet. I mean, one of the big issues, I think, and just going back to that point about transparency, we certainly as lawyers look at AI. and. I'm quite surprised, still surprised at the fact it's not really regulated, and it feels like we're at the stage where almost like we're, it's almost like the car being invented and there's no road traffic act. Mm-mm. That I mean, how do you see that developing? I know you're not a lawyer, but what would you want to see actually in terms of regulation? Do you think it should be regulated, and if you know, if so, how? Uh,
1: yes, I'm, I'm part of the Alan Turing Institute, which is the leading institute for AI and uh, data science, and, and this is at the heart of their operations. It's very, very important that uh, we. We talk about standards, and it's very, very important that we talk about regulation. Uh, when it comes to ChatGPT and generative AI, it is fair to say that we are responsive. Uh, we are trying to figure out how the technology works and what are, are, are the implications are going to be. Uh, but at the same time, it's very, very important to think about regulation and the ethical implications of this kind of technology. And we have really to be proactive uh, due to some. Uh, Um, to to, to some uh, extent Uh, and uh, there are um, many people in other sectors for example the financial sector uh, perhaps because that sector is very well regulated um, they're talking a lot about standards and regulations and I think we're going to see uh, you know more and more initiatives yeah. to, to to talk about that. Um, there are initiatives in the EU, yeah. uh, in the UK. They're trying to figure it out. I mean, um, my understanding
0: that the, the EU is taking a more broad brush yeah. approach, a bit like the GDPR almost. The, yes. the UK's approach is sector by sector. The sector. What what do you think that would? I mean, sector-by-sector approach means that you could have lots of different approaches, I suppose, which might actually complicate Mm -hmm. the situation. Mm -hmm. What's your view on on that?
1: Uh, There's a lot of talk about standardisation. It's going to take us longer to get there, but it's a good idea if we try really to get consensus. Sometimes you have to go slow to go faster, and it seems to me that this is the answer, to get all the stakeholders around the table ideally and try really to standardise. Right. Um, across sectors. That would be my advice.
0: Uh, Another thing that we've explored in the book is the concept of hybrid, of the hybrid era. Uh, We do a lot of hybrid working nowadays uh, and we're all trying to find, you know, the sweet spot between people and tech. How much tech should we use? How do you find the sweet spot in decision-making between the human element and the uh, technical element?
1: It's very important because, as I said before, uh, whenever you start with a technical problem, you end up uh, dealing with people's issues. And now when it comes to AI development, so many people talk about human in the loop. We cannot really... uh, uh just remove the human being from the decision making process partly because the technology is not there we are not uh, we are not really very confident about uh, the outputs we get from uh, these uh, different systems and um, there, there is another issue uh, which is uh, the issue of accountability um, uh, because uh, when uh, when a doctor makes a mistake, you know, they're, they're accountable. Uh, if an AI tool makes a mistake, who is accountable? Um, another consideration is, are we forgiving? Yeah. Uh, we f- sometimes we would forgive a doctor if uh, they they had a bad day or uh, they, they call us back for another checkup. But are we forgiving when it comes to technologies? Yeah. Uh, and we cannot be complacent um, uh, because uh, if, uh, this is the case, that right now, if we have a combination of a human being with a uh, empowered by AI technology. They're more likely to take better decisions. Uh, but we don't really want to get into a state where people are complacent. Perhaps after a while, uh, after using AI tools, uh, they can think, "Oh yes, I can just take into account what uh, the output of the tool is. Um, uh, I mean, well, is." We need really people to question.
0: Well, this is it. Is that they one they of get... the problems? Because they, there's, there's so much research they've done, haven't they, about autopilot and the fact, yeah. for example, that pilot Therefore, don't get the opportunity okay. to learn their craft. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, learning is very important yeah. uh, and creating, uh, fostering a learning culture within an organization is very important. AI tools learn, uh, and there's always a self-life when it comes to AI tools as well. But you, uh, sustainability is another big issue for AI tools. You have really to continuously feed in the AI tools right. with new kind of data so that they can learn but trial and error. But at the same time, we need really to give uh, human beings learning opportunities.
0: I suppose um, a big problem as well in terms of teaching AI is if you teach, if you're biased in teaching that AI, mm-hmm. it's going to come up with a biased answer, isn't it? Really? Uh, yes. So, I presume all these ethical initiatives and what have you are very much focused on those sort of issues as well.
1: Uh, Yes, and uh, you have really to start very early on thinking about the ethical implications. When you design an AI tool, you have to think, uh, am I feeding the right data sets to the AI tool? Are are these data sets representative? And you don't really want to develop a facial recognition system that is not only going to recognize white males. You have to make sure that uh, you've know just you been fair to segments of the population out there. Um, and, and you have really to figure out early on who is accountable. You have really uh, to, to embed these accountability processes within uh, your uh, system. I mean, it is
0: one of the, the challenges about any ethical sort of guidelines is they are just that. And typically there's no enforcement of them. So there's no stick, is there? There might be a carrot and there might be some good PR in terms of saying, yeah, you know, we we comply with X, Y, Z ethical principles. But it's often the case certainly, you know, in certain other le- legal areas, if there's no enforcement, it can be difficult to, well, yeah, well, difficult to enforce them. Really, uh, Yeah, yeah
1: I, I, I'm doing ethics. Um, I review um, ethics application in my university. And I'm also part of the Tyrex uh, panel at the Alan Turing Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, and whenever someone uh, wants to do some research, they have really to seek for ethical approval. Uh, and this is very, very important to have an auditing layer uh, where you force people to think about the ethical implications of uh, the technologies that they're going to develop. And as I said before, it goes back to being proactive.
0: So I, I know you've worked on knowledge transfer partnerships uh, with... Uh, other organisations they're not always that well known KTPs as as they're called Um, and they encourage collaboration between universities and businesses what what have you learned from them and what, what can businesses learn from them
1: Uh, Yes, um, they're excellent initiatives because they place academics very close uh, to industry and the idea is that you get uh, multidisciplinary teams, academics working alongside um, legal professionals for example trying to find solutions to very complex uh, problems Uh, and um, uh, the emphasis is on knowledge transfer it's all about uh, because very often in academia we work in silos and we go very deeply into a topic and we try really to transfer our knowledge Uh, but something that I've learned is that in the past uh, I had developed different decision support tools in the hope that other people were going to use them but with knowledge transfer partnerships I was so close to the companies that uh, my aim was to embed the systems that I was developing into their decision making processes so you could really see the impact uh, and you could see how a decision support tool could be used in order really to help legal professionals oh, uh, to take decisions in a shorter period of time and be more effective. Yeah. Uh, so this is the bit I enjoyed most.
0: I suppose with KTP's knowledge transfer partnerships, it's one way of commercialising that sort of knowledge. And, and I suppose, from what I've read, there have been issues in the past, haven't they, or uh, in terms of universities saying we don't commercialise as, as much as we should do in, in the UK. So it's an attempt, I presume, to sort of push commercialization of all that excellent academic work Uh, uh,
1: yes um, because um, um, another um, uh, the idea behind the KTP is that you you help a company to develop an AI tool or a product uh, but uh, if uh, they want really uh, to provide a service at scale nothing stops them and this is really the idea you don't really want to develop a tool that is going to be used within a company ideally you want to really uh, see this kind of impact where the same tool can be used in in other companies because it's only then that you can really see the effect of an even innovative solution at scale.
0: So, in terms of funding for the KTP, does the government offer funding for this.
1: Uh, yes, and depending on how large the the participating companies, you can get either half. Uh, uh, of uh, the funding, 50% uh, of uh, the project uh, uh, funds uh, um, uh, covered. Or if it is an SME, um, I think there are different uh, rules in place in order really to help
0: them. Okay, so it's it's an ongoing initiative as well. Uh, It is an ongoing
1: initiative. uh, uh, And as far as I know, in the next uh, few years, uh, Innovate UK have allocated even more funds to help more businesses out there to reap the benefits of a KTP?
0: Well, I'm not convinced that everyone really knows about them, really. And we've certainly come across them when, when doing some research for the book. Yeah. Uh, and I know we've got other um, people that we know, other other lawyers that I know, who, who use them and speak very highly of them, actually. So it's good to hear that they're continuing, that there's funding. Yes. yes. Uh, and that there's still a thing. And, uh, yeah, onwards and upwards with KTPs, I say. So finally, yeah, um, we, we always finish the podcast with the sort of killer question as it were. And, and it's a basic question really. So what what's the innovation or indeed new way of thinking would you know you think will transform business in the next, I say next decade, we're actually moving quite a lot into the decade already until 2030. What's the biggest thing that yeah. you see?
1: If you asked me six months ago, I would say the metaverse uh, and the idea of all of us having an avatar. When it comes to decision making, uh, my vision would have been that perhaps all of us would have an avatar or an agent uh, that would automate uh, our decision making. If we wanted to go to a restaurant, uh, we would ask our avatar uh, or agent to do to make a booking for us, and we would trust that the, that agent to make a booking for us or to make a decision uh, for us. For example, uh, which holiday to book. Uh, but um, is it going to happen? I'm not so sure. I would say the jury is still out there. Uh, and I don't really know how immersive the technology is going to be. Maybe some people are going to prefer a telephone call yeah. or occasionally to meet a friend over coffee. Well, uh, obviously,
0: Meta's thrown a lot of money yes, at it. Yes. And they're still yes, throwing a lot of money, lot, money lot, at it, aren't yeah. they? Yeah.
1: And they're laying off a lot of stuff in no. order really to uh, reduce their costs. Uh, but if you ask me now, I would say generative AI looks very promising indeed. Uh, and more and more people are saying that uh, what we're going to see is that AI is going to be a platform. Uh, for example, uh, here today, um, um, uh, we are in a room and uh, we can switch on electricity and we can switch on the light and when we leave, we can switch off the light. And this is c- going to happen um, with AI. Um, many companies, if they need AI, they're going to use an API and they're going to feed their data into a system that is somewhere, it lies on the cloud or somewhere there, and they're going perhaps to take data-powered decisions using ai capability and perhaps they're going to pay just for the service Uh, so this is my prediction perhaps we're not going to see many in-house solutions because ai is very costly Uh, but um, when it comes to generative ai chatbots we're going to see more and more applications it's very very promising Uh, and everyone says that it's going to be a game changer
0: and it's going to be invisible i'm guessing sometimes because it's it's i'm it's it's within the smart speakers people use isn't it uh, ready
1: and... yeah but but we have really to make sure that we we have the public on our side we don't really want to develop super duper technologies that people don't trust right. and along the way we have really to think about pr and marketing uh, and marketing somehow sometimes uh uh, it can be seen as a way of influencing people, but uh, we have to be transparent ourselves and we have to be very open and very honest about what AI can do and what AI cannot do and let people make their own choices.
0: So we finish really on a very human story, yes. isn't it? its It's telling the story of what AI is mm-hmm. and why it matters and why it helps us. Yeah. Um, and, and selling that sort of concept to 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 you know um, everybody really
1: yeah AI matters but uh, you we humans so we, we
0: matter more so we're not going to be taken over by AI in, in that sense humans will still be the center of uh, uh,
1: it, it should be ob- like yeah. that uh, and uh, it's really sad that I cannot really make a prediction and say that definitely it's going to be no. like that no. but part of my research is to look at probabilities and you can never say one hundred percent certain
0: of course not. Well, I'm feeling optimistic, so thank you so much today for your time. Oh, thank you
1: so much. It was a pleasure being here with you today. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Well, there are so many things I think we can draw from this conversation with Nadia. From sleeping on a decision, if we can, which seems more and more difficult to justify nowadays, to being much more forgiving of tech. Uh, think we need to remember that, for example, AI is rarely 100% perfect, but it can still help us to improve our decision-making processes. As we highlight in our recent book, Legal Practice in the Digital Age, we need to continue to work hard on fine-tuning our systems and processes. So here's three tips on how you can do this when making a decision. One, as co-creator of the iPod and the iPhone, Tony Fidel notes, the majority of our decisions are typically data-informed and not data made. For much of what we do we need to remember to keep a human in the loop. Sometimes of course data protection law will demand this. So yes basing what you do on data rich fact and not data poor folklore will help you to make better decisions but typically you're likely to need a human too to make the final call. Two, Transparency in how systems arrive at their decisions, particularly those using AI, means that you may need to work out the journey, as it were. You need to understand why you are where you are, so you can try to fix your systems if things should go wrong. Alas, the rules on AI scarcely exist at the moment, but the UK government recently issued a white paper on AI in which transparency is a key principle. Are you ready for this? And three, you need good data. As one of our clients told us, access to better data means better decisions to drive our strategy. And remember that old adage of rubbish in, rubbish out. So that's it for this edition of Business in a Digital Age. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any thoughts or feedback on it, please do get in touch. A reminder, you can subscribe to the Shoesmiths Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or however you consume your podcasts. Thanks for listening today. And goodbye.